Saturday. CNBC is your ticket to the annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting. Watch live on air or stream all the action at CNBC.com. Warren Buffett meets with shareholders, plus their questions, his answers. Becky Quick and Mike Santoli with full coverage from Omaha. Then re-rack the energy with highlights Monday morning starting on Squawk Box. The annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting, live on air and online, starts 9.30 Eastern, Saturday, CNBC. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. Greetings and salutations, Options Actions fans. I am Dominic Chu in for Melissa Lee tonight on this Friday. We are live from the NASDAQ market site right here in Times Square, New York City, with a very big show coming your way. So here is what's on tap. Buckle up. As another major sell-off slams Wall Street, the chartmaster sees a rough ride ahead for one high-flying name. Why Carter Worth is slamming the brakes on Tesla. Plus... We're trading the tech wreck. Professor Co out with a big update on how you can use options to protect your portfolio. And later, Tony Zhang is breaking out his Grinch suit. Why he sees a big downside ahead for one retailer this holiday season. It's time to risk less and make more. Options action starts right now. All right, there it is, your agenda. We kick things off with a major sell-off in technology, specifically on Wall Street. The Nasdaq, as you can see, they're plummeting nearly 2% today. Closing well off the lows of the session, though, but still finishing roughly 7% below its all-time high. And as tech continues to tumble, the chart master says it's time to slam the brakes on one high-flying name. Carter Braxton Worth kicking us off tonight. Carter. We teased it, but you're looking at Tesla. Why? Yeah, let's look at it. And it's just a question of it's a beta trade to some extent. You mentioned tech down 7, 8, others down 10. It's now down 20, three simple charts. So what do we know? We know that Tesla gapped up on that news day that Hertz was going to buy cars or Tesla was going to sell cars to Hertz. And it ended up going up some 30 40% from that point. But we're in the process of giving that back. So you can see that wedge is drawn. Look at the second of three charts. And so often after breaking out from a well-defined top at a common level, you'll check back to it. And so if you simply take the highs from which the stock gapped up on the Hertz news, that uh, gets us back to the 9-10 level. And that's about a 10% from here. The final chart of three is all the lines together. And so uh, we're down 19% from the peak. That would make sense for such a high flyer. It's got some beta. And the question is, do we fill that gap from that sort of euphoric knee-jerk reaction on October 25th on the Hertz News? And my hunch is yes. If you fill that gap, buy some Tesla at 910. If you have Tesla now, sell it. All right. CBW, it closed the day down six and a half percent, 1014, or call it 1015, 1014 and It's in the extended trade right now, 1006. Mike Coe, if it really is a 910 target, that is roughly 10 percent. What exactly is the trade on Tesla? Yeah, I mean, well, there, it depends a little bit on, uh, you know, how much capital somebody wants to allocate to a trade. Now, just speaking about Tesla generally, you know, normally when we talk about stocks, you know, we'll often have a valuation conversation that follows Carter's uh, technical directional view. Now, 
I would quickly point out that Carter had two very good bullish calls on Tesla back when it was sub 800. We, we actually followed along with that. We weren't making the valuation case. I think Tesla is a remarkable company. It's doing remarkable things. But obviously, it is a high-flying stock on a valuation basis. And if you start seeing high-flying valuation stocks generally exhibit some weakness, and we most certainly have, then there's reason to believe that that could be an affliction that would affect Tesla as well. Now, anybody who was following today's moves in stocks probably was also following what they were seeing in the VIX. And the VIX ended up closing above 30, despite the fact that the S&P actually was only down fractionally. And that exhibits essentially how much anxiety is being exhibited in the options market right now. And that anxiety is magnified many times when you take a look at the price of Tesla options. And so in a situation like this, I think we want to take advantage of that by selling options. And in this case, we're going to do the exact opposite of the trade that we did when we were making bullish calls, when we were buying call spreads. We're going to sell one this time. I was looking at the January 1100, 1120 call spread. Now, this is where I'm talking a little bit about how much capital you want to allocate. Because even though this stock is $1,000 a share, you can find smaller ways to make bearish bets. By selling the 1,100 calls for about 84 bucks, which is where I saw them uh, when I was looking at this earlier today, and then buying the 1120s for about 77, you're gonna collect about $7. That's about 33% of the distance between the strikes. Notice that relative to where the stock traded, it would need to rise at least 9% before you saw losses. And then your losses, of course, would be capped at the difference between the strikes, $20, less the premium you collect, seven, so $13 a share, or 1,300 since each contract represents 100 shares. But I think that's a way that you can essentially play the stock's weakness, give yourself a little buffer to the upside. Uh, it seems unlikely that the stock's gonna recapture its recent highs uh, between now and January, given the way the market's behaving. All right, so the maximum profits made if the stock starts moving lower, but you've kind of capped off, you've reduced the risk on both sides of it. Tony, what's your take? Is that the way that you would be playing that Tesla side of things? Yeah, I think Mike has got the right trade. But to go back to Carter's chart here, what's interesting about the flag formation that Carter uh, showed you is that it's typically used as a continuation pattern, which would actually imply further upside. But what's interesting about this particular flag is that we see declining volume since it broke out above that 910 gap level that Carter was referring to. And that simply means that we're likely potentially to break back lower and fill that gap that Carter's referring to, that 10% downside, rather than continue here to the upside. And if you look at the business, Tesla is by far, I think, one of the strongest U.S. OEMs at the moment as far as car manufacturers. Actually, the only one seeing year-over-year shipment growth here despite the chip shortages in October. But I think it's always difficult to wrap your head around the fact that this stock is trading at nearly 100 times 2023 earnings. That's an incredible valuation that it's currently trading at. So a 10% decline from there, I think is more than reasonable. And if you look at Mike's call trade, uh, call spread trade structure, he's collecting, as he said, almost 30, 35% of the width here. Yet this call spread is 8% out of the money. Typically call spreads that are that far out of the money, we're collecting only about 20, 25%. And that's because of the elevated implied volatility, currently at about 59% implied volatility percentile. So for those reasons, I really like this particular trade. He's collecting fair amount of premium for this trade setup. There is such a magnet effect of Tesla, right? Because it, it, if it's not one of the, it is the most 
trafficked single name in terms of the options market overall. So Tesla certainly get all, getting all kinds of attention and, and, of course, drawing in some of that kind of interest and in bidding up of those implied volatility numbers as well. All right, so that's the Tesla side of things. We should also note that retail-type stocks are also getting hit hard today. The Spider Retail ETF, ticker XRT, that ETF dropping more than, call it about a one and three-quarters percent of the day, as you can see there. It's now down nearly 10 percent just over the course of the last month. And with the holidays fast approaching, very fast approaching, Tony Zhang says one mall-based retailer may leave investors out in the cold shivering. Tony, which retailer is it that's going to be putting coal in investor stockings? Yeah, this retailer has been in business for 120 years, Nordstrom. Uh, but unfortunately, I think that this is a retailer that's heading in the same direction as another old retailer that has uh, gone bankrupt, Sears. So if we look at the chart itself, if you look at a long-term chart here, a line in the sand that you can draw here is around the $25 mark. And we recently just broke below that level here. And this simply suggests that there's further downside going into the holidays. And if we zoom into the chart here, what we see is that the stock gapped higher in last November from about $13 to $15, a pretty big turnaround here uh, for a stock that peaked in 2015. But that leaves an unfilled gap right now. That, that is my downside target. Similar to the Tesla trade where we have an unfilled gap, my target here to the downside is that unfilled gap around $15. And if you look at the business itself, it's really difficult to overlook the huge debt load that Nordstrom currently has, about 10 times their cash position, nearly $3 billion in debt. And what that's doing is it's squeezing its operating margins down to about 2-3%, and I think it's hard to justify the 28 times next year's earnings that it's currently trading at for a retailer. So. The trade structure that I'm using to take advantage of what I think is some potential downside here for Nordstrom is to go out to January past the holiday season and I'm buying the 20 by 15 put vertical spread, collecting, uh, paying about $2 for the January 20 at the money puts and then collecting about 38 cents to sell the January $15 puts against it. Net net here, I'm paying about $1.60 for this put vertical spread and that's going to allow me to have about a 2 to 1 risk to reward ratio if Nordstrom does decline down to that $15 gap, uh, gap fill level or lower by the January expiration. An interesting, uh, again, another interesting way to play a risk-defined profile on this for the downside. Mike Coe, I, I wonder, this is the similar type of move that you were making with Tesla. What do you think about that, that payout ratio? Do you think the risk-reward is there? What's your take on Tony's trade? Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that, Dom, because actually there is a relationship between selling call spreads and buying put spreads. Synthetically, they're equivalent to each other. If you sell an out-of-the-money call spread, basically to, out of the three things that can happen, the stock could rise, stay where it is, or fall. Two of them are good uh, and one is bad. If you buy a put spread, you actually need the stock to move. So we would say that uh, two of the things are, are bad and one good. The difference is that the payoff changes, in this case, paying off two to one. Now, Normally, when I'm trying to buy debit put spreads, I'm looking for a relationship that's a little bit more like three to one. But Tony actually referenced one of the reasons why these put spreads would be a little bit more expensive in a name like Nordstrom. And that is actually the fact that the balance sheet is pretty levered, a little over $4 billion worth of debt by my work. Now, Nordstrom's is kind of an interesting case because they've always done a very, very good job on inventory management through a lot of the crises that we've seen. It's one of the few retailers that actually we can point to and look back 10 years and see that they've actually seen some growth and they're making some progress on the e-commerce side and the e-commerce side business obviously should trade at a higher multiple but that said with their weak cash position it's understandable why so much of wall street 
doesn't like this stock right now, and it, and it really is pretty universally disliked by the analysts at the moment. I mean, speaking of that long-term chart, I'm just looking at one for the last 15 to 20 years of Nordstrom, and you can see that there's, there's a, a, a very cyclical-type nature to this thing. So maybe it's not destined for failure, but it could be a value trade at some point. We'll see what happens here. All right, thanks very much, guys. For everything Options Action, by the way, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. And while you're there, sign up for our newsletter. Here's what's coming up next. Still to come, short sellers taking aim at DraftKings. So how can you gamble on the name using options? Mike Coe lays out his call to action next. Plus, calling all options action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at options action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when options action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. DraftKings, dealing investors a losing hand today. That stock falling nearly 10%, as you can see there, as big drama breaks out over the future of this sports betting stock. Our own Contessa Brewer is on the front lines of that fight and joins us with the details. What can you tell us, Contessa? I'm just watching it like a tennis match. Back and forth, back and forth, Dom. Jim Chanos reveals on CNBC his short position in DraftKings. Trash talks the amount of money spent on marketing. DraftKings CEO Jason Robbins says Chanos forgot how to do math. We also are not trading anywhere near 30 times revenue. Um, it's less than half of that. So uh, I'm not sure what he's doing other than, you know, Jim's a smart guy. I'm sure he knows better. And we all have to get up in the morning and look in the mirror. And some people say anything to make a buck. But we're not really focused on people selling short. We're focused on the people who are believers. Chanos responded on Twitter, pulling out the third quarter earnings release for DraftKings. And you see, Chanos's premise rests on the third quarter results. And the third quarter is the weakest seasonally with a margin of just 20 percent. So if you run Chanos's hypothetical scenario, so four times the revenue, marketing spend gets reduced to 10 percent. But then you use the annualized margin of 40 percent. Well, there you come up with an operating income of more than $300 million. Again, this is the drawn-out version of what would happen if they made revenue four times what it currently is. But, of course, Chanos is standing by his math and his short. And after my last segment, he tweeted that DraftKings has lost $1.2 billion over the last 12 months. I totally understand it. Jason Robbins is also standing by his numbers and his outlook. He says DraftKings will be profitable in each state where it operates two to three years after it launches in that state. And he said it's already happened in New Jersey. So in this situation, Dom, it really looks like patience would be a virtue. But I also see this back and forth volley reference that you just made with regard to tennis back and forth. All right, Contessa, thank you very much for that on DraftKings. Well, if you share Jim Chanos's view, the negative one on DraftKings, you could always go ahead and short the stock or you could use the power of options to express a bearish view without the risk of losing your shirt. Mike Coe is here to explain how to in the call to action. Yeah, you know, I mean, first of all, I have to give a lot of credit to Jim Chanos. I mean, obviously, he's one of the most well-known short sellers 
Uh, and selling stock short over the long term is a really challenging thing to do. And there's a couple of reasons for this. Number one, stocks generally rise. So you're basically fighting the tide. The other thing is that when you short stocks, the potential gains are finite. That means that the most you can possibly make is whatever you collected. Maybe the stock happens to go to zero and you basically collect all of uh, what you sold it for. But that's very unlikely. On the other hand, your losses, your potential losses are infinite, as we saw particularly in some of the meme stocks over the course of the last year and a half or so. And the other thing is that the market can remain irrational longer than a lot of short sellers can remain solvent. That is to say, mispricings on stocks, if that's what you're, what you're seeing, can, can basically exist for a long time. So as we try to take a look at ways that we can trade this using options, there's a couple things that you want to think about. First of all, is yours a short-term catalyst that you're trading for, or is it a longer-term thesis? Also, how high are options premiums? Oftentimes, in stocks that are being targeted by short sellers, you're going to see that the options premiums are quite high. And what are acceptable risk and reward trade-offs? So taking a look at DraftKings, if you are thinking that this is a stock that could see further weakness, but you don't want to face unlimited upside risk, I was actually taking a look at the January-May 25-put calendar. When I was looking at this trade earlier today, those May options, the May 25 puts, cost about $3.60 a contract. That's a lot when you consider that the stock itself is less than $30 a share. But also, nearer dated options are quite expensive. You could sell the January 25 puts for $1.65. This would make the most money if the stock drifted down to that $25 strike by January expiration. So this is a way that you can take advantage of the fact that those very high premium nearer dated options are going to decay more rapidly. Now, in the event that the stock basically lingers within the profitable range here, you can then go ahead possibly and sell another put when the January one expires. But this is you know, a way where you're essentially targeting uh, a downward move and you want to limit your risk to the upside. Now, of course, if it overshoots, then you have some potential losses on the downside as well. So one of the reasons we sometimes use diagonals for these types of trades. But I think a move below 20 before January expiration is probably quite unlikely. All right, so there's that range there, 20, 74 on the downside there as well. Uh, so, Carter, I, I wonder what your take is on DraftKings as you look at these charts. I'm looking at it right now. I am not a technician by trade, but it certainly feels as though these are some levels where some people, you could argue, want to take that leap in and maybe buy it. Some others would say that the momentum is still to the downside here. What, what exactly is your take on the DraftKings chart? Well, doing that would uh, be characterized as catching the falling knife. I'd be inclined not to, but let's look at some charts. Let's move through them quickly. First chart, no annotations or judgments by me. Uh, what we know is it's cascading. Look at the second chart. And I've annotated the importance of the 2750 level. Now, keep that in mind and look at the third chart. This wide-ranging channel... The lower band is also 2750. Next chart, is it a massive head and shoulders top? Of course it is, but that 2750 level is key. My hunch is that we're gonna give way there. Now look at a table, just to put this in context. Is it anything to do with DraftKings? Of course it doesn't. Penn is the same percent decline. Zoom, Peloton, uh, Zillow. It's a type of stock that's under pressure. And then a final chart is a comparative chart of all of those tickers. It's the same trade, and they all look as though they're headed lower. Wow. All right. Okay. I mean, they're not even in the same industry for some of them, but, but yes, they are very characteristically moving in similar fashions. I, I wonder, Tony, what's the thought here? You, you saw the charts that Carter just laid out, and you saw what Mike did with regard to his particular trade. What do you think about DraftKings? What would you be doing here? 
Yeah, so I think what we're seeing right now is healthy for the market to remove some of this froth and excess. You know, the head and shoulders pattern that Carter showed you targets $18 here, $18 to the downside. I think that's a reasonable target. And the one metric that everyone's paying attention to is revenue growth. But when you have unprofitable companies like this growing, uh, you know, EBITDA losses faster than revenue growth, I think that's a concern for me. Um, so when you look at Mike's trade structure, what's really interesting is that he's collecting 50% of the premium that he's paying for those May options in those January options. That's a, far, that's a large amount of premium to collect in just about 45 days. And with the calendar spread, you have some losses here to the downside. And this has to go down about 28% before that happens. All right. So an interesting move there for sure for DraftKings with regard to that trade. All right. Thanks very much, guys. Up next, we are laying out some of the protection plays as technology tanks. How our traders are using options to limit some of that damage. Check it out. We're back right after this. Welcome back. This is Options Action. Another brutal sell-off in technology today. The Nasdaq plunging nearly 2%. By the way, that's off-session lows. And if you caught the show just a few weeks ago, Mike Coe said it was a good time to take some protection. When you're hedging, it is a form of insurance on your portfolio. So you're going to spend some premium to mitigate your downside risk. And here's the thing. If you spend that premium and you lose that premium, chances are things are generally good. I was looking out to January at the 380, 350 put spread, when I was looking at that earlier today, you would spend a little over $5 in premium to buy that spread, which is about one and a quarter percent of the current level of QQQ. Now, NASDAQ is up 26% year to date. Now, if you annualize that expense, one and a quarter percent, because that's got a little less than three months to go, annualize, that would be about 6% in terms of premium spent. All right, that QQQ NASDAQ ETF is down nearly 2% since that trade. Mike, what do you do now? Yeah, obviously this put spread is up a bit since we spent the 5 bucks for it. But here's the thing. We didn't buy this as protection for the Qs to go to that long strike. We bought it as protection in case the Qs go through that long strike. So if you have this position on, I think you keep it and you can sleep at night and you'll enjoy the holidays. And if you don't, actually, believe it or not, it's not overwhelmingly expensive still to buy this as a bit of protection if you need some. Insurance for sure. All right, up next, guys, the final call. Keep it right here. All right, thanks for watching Options Action. We'll see you next week. Everyone have a great weekend. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.